Okay, friends, I'm going to read today's scripture reading, and so I'm going to ask that you stand as a sign of honoring the Word of God. Our reading today comes from Mark chapter 14, verses 32 through 44. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough! The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. It's wonderful to be with you. Do you realize in two weeks we will be celebrating Easter, Resurrection Day? It's a, it's a phenomenal day, a, a day that we should never be complacent about. So this is what's going to be happening two weeks from now on the beach. We... We haven't done that for uh, two years, so it'll be really good. And, but these uh, services will be packed as well, so if you are a late sleeper and you just say, could I just see a picture on the screen and not, uh, <laughs> not do it, you can do that, yeah. But for today, we are going to begin to prepare our hearts. So next week is Palm Sunday, then we have Good Friday I uh, want to remind you, Good Friday service at noon, I'll be preaching down in uh, San Diego, Bethel AME Church. Some of you have been there before. It's just a phenomenal service. Try not to drink too much water. It's a three-hour service. Uh, seven preachers uh, bringing the seven words of Jesus on the cross, and it's one of the high points of, of my life. Um, I'm for 25 years I've been invited to come down and be one of the preachers, and I always feel unworthy to be with these giants of preachers that are down there. But um, uh, you can come to that or the evening service that night right here for Good Friday and then Easter. Uh, not on the beach. I'm, I, I, I kind of gave up. I think this that picture was 2017, I think. Uh, yeah. 
I'll probably wear a suit here in the service here. You know, that's good for Christmas and Easter. <laughs> when, when people ask me to do their wedding, I, they say, you, uh, you do own a suit, right? And I say, yeah. <laughs> a wetsuit. Today we are in the Garden of Gethsemane, and as we go into the Garden of Gethsemane, I want us to prepare our hearts. Uh, I, for years, when uh, we've taken tours over to Israel, and we happen to be staying in Jerusalem, I'll tell everyone, you know, if you want extra credit, you want an extra experience that's not a part of the tour, uh, meet me at the Lion's Gate of Jerusalem at 6 a.m., and you know, everybody wants to do it, but uh, they've been out late, and, uh, and it's maybe a 20-minute walk through Herod's Gate, through Old Jerusalem to get to uh, the Lion's Gate, and then across the Kidron Valley into the, the garden there on the edge of the Mount of Olives. And, uh, but it's so beautiful to, to be there at dawn, uh, because throughout the day there's just thousands and thousands of people in the garden, and it just doesn't feel like it would have been when Jesus was there in the garden, but this was a favorite place of his, so much so that when uh, Judas wondered where Jesus would be, he knew exactly where to go uh, to find Jesus. Jesus was a person of prayer, and he would get his bearings, he reset his compass, his defaults there in the garden. And so today we're going to go into the garden. I feel that when I was preparing for this, I, I felt a little bit uh, awkward, like we were peering into Jesus' privacy. Uh, what was it like for him to pray? And this seems to be uh, such an important prayer that is recorded for us, but it's one of those prayers where he's praying like you have prayed, where you're, you're, you know what you want. Uh, you feel like you know what the good and the right thing is, but you're not sure you're going to get it, and you're not sure what God's will is, and so he's wrestling here. So as we look at this, we're unworthy. It's a very, very holy moment. Uh, but Father, we ask you in, in the vulnerability of this passage that we're studying, we ask you to not only show us the vulnerability of Jesus, but that you would make us vulnerable to you. That this passage would go from our head to our hearts and that you would speak to us and change us in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's in the garden that the suffering of Jesus begins. We tend to think of it as starting the next day, but it's that night that the suffering begins. So we read in verse 32 of chapter 14 of Mark, they went to the place called Gethsemane, which means the wine press, the grape press. And Jesus said to the disciples, uh, or olive press, sit here while I pray. 
And he took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch. Just to keep us appraised as of what's happened so far, they have been in the upper room. The upper room is on the far side that the far side of uh, the old Jerusalem, so it's a 20-minute walk to get here, and they have spent probably from 6 o'clock to maybe 10 o'clock there in the upper room. As you know, from John 13 all the way through John 17, you have this encounter where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And since we just finished going through the values of our church, I want to remind you of one, that we are servants to one another. The only way to do Jesus is to be a servant. We aim low. We aim at people's feet to serve them just because that's what Jesus did. We're not top-down uh, pyramid structure here where I'm captain foreman. You know, that, that uh, anyone who's in leadership here is a servant, and they're taught to be that way. It's a culture that we want to grow here. But we learned it from Jesus. He said, if I have done this, then you need to be like me and serve one another. He goes on to talk about the fact that I won't leave you as orphans. I am going to come back, but I'm coming back as the Holy Spirit. I won't leave you alone, and I'm going to fill your life. Now, I want you to bear fruit, but you need to know that in John 15, he says, to bear fruit, you have to obey me. You cannot be fruitful without obeying Jesus. And here's what I want you to do. Here's my command. Love each other. Just love each other. And you will obey my command, and you will bear fruit. So the Holy Spirit is coming, John 16. And in that time, you're going to begin to ask for things. You're going to become people of prayer. You haven't asked anything yet, but in my name, you're going to begin to pray through the Holy Spirit. And whatever you ask, I'll give it to you. In John 17, he says, my high prayer is that you would be one. It's the hardest thing for humans. It's the hardest thing in marriage. It's the hardest thing uh, between nations to be united, to be one. But Father, just as you and I are one, I want them to love each other. And then he goes out, and on his way, he must have gotten to the garden somewhere, I'm guessing, most scholars think, somewhere around 11 o'clock that night. And the suffering begins. He probably prays for two to three hours. I know that seems a lot to us because we're in and out people. That was a little plug. I'm sponsored by in and out. No, just, <laughs> just kidding. But you think of it, it's actually not a positive thing. You know, just, just in and out, in and out, in and out. To be that way with God. One and done, one and done. Rather, he prays, he prays, he prays, just like we worshiped 
and, and, and we kept singing the same words over and over and over again. My dad would have said as an engineer, why do we say things over and over again? I understood the first time. I say, dad, we're saying it until it goes from your head to your heart. And sometimes it's like kneading bread. You got to get it down to your heart. And prayer is that same way. Praying and praying, feeling like you got some release from God. And, and Jesus comes back three different times, finds the disciples sleeping. And we read that account, we think, oh, God, the 12 stooges. You know, they, they, they can't stay awake in the most critical hour, just as if we would have been awake. But if Jesus prayed till 2 a.m., whoa. And for the first hour, you're saying, I'm going to stay awake, I'm going to stay awake. And uh, after an hour, you fall asleep. And the next hour, I'm going to stay awake, I'm going to stay awake. Uh, it's been a long day. He's finally arrested, probably around 2 a.m. He's taken to Ananias' house. He was the high priest till 14 A.D., and at that time, he was dismissed from his duties because of conflict with Rome. But he became the godfather of all the high priests that came after them. So everybody knew who really uh, politically uh, was on top of the ladder. So that to get someone to approve of something, we got to go to his house first. He's taken from there to Caiaphas' house. In Caiaphas' house, there's both trials are mock trials. They're investigative, investigative, trying to get Jesus to say something he's going to regret that he said. They're, they're fishing expeditions. It's not a true trial. And then finally, the ultimate trial happens at, at daybreak uh, where the Sanhedrin meets, and it's in the second meeting at Caiaphas' house that Peter hears the rooster crow. Jesus probably, between that encounter with Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin, is taken below Caiaphas' house, and you can visit that to this day in old Jerusalem, a dungeon, uh, kind of a, a, a jail cell, uh, down in the basement of the house where he would have been kept. And it tells us that the guards mocked him. The guards had him to themselves, so they blindfolded Jesus, said, who, who struck you now? Who struck you now? But the suffering begins. And then finally, the Sanhedrin meets. Jesus says, uh, finally, in a moment where they're pestering him, they're quizzing, they're asking, and he says, you know, next time you see me, I'm going to be coming in the clouds of glory, sitting on the right hand of God. Amen. And they, they just lose it. And Caiaphas says, tell me straight out, are you the son of God? And Jesus says, you have said it. And scholars to this day debate, did he mean it is as you said, not as I said, or... You said it, buddy. <laughs> so they, 
cry blasphemy. And around 6 a.m., they take him down to Pilate's, which again, they have to go across old Jerusalem. Pilate interviews him, sends him over to Herod around 7 a.m., and Herod interviews him, sends him back to Pilate again. So we're about 8 a.m., and he's hung on a cross at 9 a.m. Six hours, he hangs on a cross. But the suffering began here in the garden where Jesus, he knows what's about to happen. He knows. He knows what Judas has gone to do. And he knows that Judas is coming. He's praying in the garden till Judas arrives. And he's telling the disciples, you've got to keep watch. Something really bad is about to happen. And I need a friend. Can you just hang with me? Stay with me. Some of you have stayed with people to their death. And you know how much it meant to them that you were there all the way through. Jesus is looking for a friend, but he's also looking for people that understand the gravity of what's happening here. He knew the painful passages of Scripture. You know them. Isaiah 53. My Jewish friends are always stunned to find this in the Bible. <laughs> Psalm 22. Isaiah 53. Probably 740 B.C. it was written. 700 years before Christ was born. David, Psalm 22, over a thousand years before Jesus was born. Let me read just a few verses of each. Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised. Now notice the change of the pronouns. He, second person singular, we, first person plural. Two different groups here. There's a person and there's a we. If you're reading Isaiah 40 all the way through Isaiah 60, you have this suffering servant. And scholars in, at this point interpret that to be Israel. That Israel was the suffering servant that Isaiah is talking about. And you look at all the suffering that Israel and Jews have gone through in, in the world. And you say, well, there it is. But in Isaiah 53, it, it parts ways. It has two people groups. It has the he and it has the we. Who is the we? Israel. Who is the he? The ultimate Israelite. The perfect one. The one that bore the sins for the nation. So here it is. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. 
Isaiah is including himself in this. But Yahweh has laid on him, the Messiah, the iniquity of us all. Jesus knows that's coming. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help me. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. See the cross there. My heart is turned to wax. It is melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth, and they lay me in the dust of death. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me, and they divide my clothes among them, and they cast lots for my garment. He knows that this is about to happen. So he prophetically sees this storm that is coming. We don't have the privilege usually in California to see this ominous storm coming. We look out over the ocean and we look at our app and we say, and we look at the radar and say, well, it looks like it's coming about this. It's going to be some light rain, but then it's going to come heavy and blah, 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 blah. But if you've lived in the Midwest or East Coast, there can be storms that create tornadoes where the whole sky that's coming is black. We were one time driving back from South Carolina, living in Virginia, and we had been down to South Carolina for a surf contest with junior high boys. Um, and uh, the waves were all of 11 inches. <laughs> and we're, we're driving back through North Carolina, and I look out to my left side of my old Mazda, and I see this black wall of clouds coming as high and as low as you could see. And out the right-hand window is clear skies. And you think, oh my gosh, this is going to be bad. And it was bad. We had a little mini tornado. We didn't get many in Virginia. It's just not common. But a mini tornado, about a yard wide, just came like a saw, like a jigsaw, right through a chimney in the neighborhood, right through a fence, right through a roof, and, and you could see it all the, even where it hit the lawn, it just left all these lawns ripped up a yard wide. Storm, and that's the storm that Jesus sees, but it's a storm of evil. It's a storm that's coming from uh, Judas, the betrayer. It's coming from the Sanhedrin. It's coming from Pilate. And we can quickly go to, yeah, 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 but he died for my sins, so it's good. But to get to the good, we have to understand the pain. Because if we don't understand the darkness of evil that Jesus took on himself, we won't appreciate the good that came out of it. Amen to that? Amen. So he foresees it all. And we're looking at the depth of what Jesus begins to sense here. We just can't skip over it because the way I see it, that storm is coming from me. It's my sin. 
that's coming that he's going to carry. It's your sin that he's going to carry. We're going to end this service with the celebration of communion. Would that be wonderful to celebrate what he did for you and I? So let's go back to the garden and look at Jesus' prayer. You can read this in all four Gospels, and all four Gospels give us a different vantage point. When this happens with the Gospels, um, people love to say, look how contradictory they are. They're not contradictory, they're complementary. It's, it's like four different witnesses standing on different corners that witness an accident. And they're being interviewed, and then from their perspective, they highlight and emphasize what they see. And so Mark says to us here in verse 35, going a little further, he fell to the ground, and he prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. If you look at these trees right here, the young trees, like this tree right here, this olive tree looks like he's, it could just be maybe 30 years old. This tree is probably 60, 80 years old, but there's a couple of trees that I took a picture of in this picture back here and back here that are aged at 2,000 years old. And they saw... Jesus pray. And this is his prayer. Abba, Father, everything is possible. Take this cup from me. You can do anything. Take this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, you're the leader. Are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Come on, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. He actually did fall into temptation, didn't he? He didn't watch and pray, and he actually did deny Jesus three times. The spirit is willing, Peter. You want it so bad, but your flesh is so weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. It's okay to pray the same thing. Did you know? There was an old movement 30, 40 years ago that said, if you pray it a second time, it shows you didn't believe it the first time. Ludicrous. If you told your wife you loved her, then you didn't mean it if you have to say it again. If you say it a second time, you didn't mean it the first time. That's ridiculous logic. Jesus prays three times. Paul prayed three times for his body to be healed. Elijah prayed three times that it would rain. Prayer just sometimes needs to be kneaded like dough. We just pray it and pray it till you feel like, well, there I'm done, and I'm done for now. Maybe I need to pray it again tomorrow. Think of the things that you've prayed for. Healing. Oh, what a mystery. Sometimes I see healing, sometimes I don't. What a mystery. Uh, sometimes people come to Christ. I see it. And sometimes I don't. But I keep praying, don't you? You don't get the job you want. You got to keep looking, got to keep praying. You don't get the wife you want. 
you got to keep looking, you got to keep praying. <laughs> and some of us have struggled to have kids. And some of us have struggled because we had kids. <laughs> but you got to keep praying, right? You keep praying. But what we're praying for is the God who can do all things. Like Jesus says, you can do anything. And he's good, he's loving, he's powerful, and he's here. So there's no problem. God, I am praying for good things. I want a job. That's a good thing. And I want this job. And I pray that you give it to me. And so those are the, praise, the prayers that we pray. But sometimes we're aware that God's flying at a higher elevation than we are. And he sees global goodness. And he sees how this incident in my life fits in to the greater plan. And so I need to pray, nevertheless, thy will be done. And that's the hardest prayer. I think it's that prayer that gets prayed deep in the garden of our souls. Because if, if we can't obey the commander of our, of our force, if we're someone that's following our military commander, and I'm not willing to do what he commands, what, what kind of soldier am I? I just do, in this instance, I'm going to do my own thing, but I'll be back with the platoon in a minute. So he says, nevertheless, your commander, nevertheless, your will be done. And he does this, Matthew tells us, three different times, probably over the span of perhaps three hours. But there's a little tiny word I want you to grab a hold of. Mark is the only one that gives it to us, Abba. Abba, Dada, Daddy. That's what he calls God the Father. This endearing term. Aramaic is the language that the Jews picked up when they were captive in Babylon. To this day, the Assyrian Chaldean people that are all Christians now in northern uh, Iraq speak Assyrian. So Assyrian would be what they would speak to one another, Aramaic rather. Uh, Hebrew would be what they would speak in the temple, in the synagogue. And Paul said in the home he spoke Hebrew. And then on the, in the marketplace they would seek, speak Greek. They were all trilingual. They would speak Greek to the Romans. And Jesus here, in his common vernacular, Aramaic, says, Abba. In Hebrew, the, the word for father is A-B, Av, pronounced with a V sound, but it, it would be like a B in, in Hebrew. Now think of it. A child's growing up hearing... Their, their dad's name. 
And what do they do? What does a, what does a young infant that's learning how to talk say? He repeats the syllable. Da, da. Yeah, good. Dentals. Uh, Hebrew, the B is a labial, and it, he would say, Abba, Abba, Abba. If you wanted to be more formal, you'd say, Ab. So as a little kid, what did you call your dad? Father. <laughs> Dada. And Jesus kept it. The Son of God calling the Father within the Trinity, Dada. Now, I challenge you in your prayer life. I know some of you are like me. You're going to think that God's just going to smack you down. It's Father to you, Foreman. <laughs> With Jan, it's okay. She can say Dada, but to you, it's Father. But Jesus is crying out in this intimate moment, calling him Daddy. And he does it three times. Luke tells us that he prays so earnestly. And, and Matthew lets us know, I think it's Luke or Matthew, one of the two that tells us that he sweated like drops of blood. That he was in such agony over the evil that was coming upon him that he may have had this uh, syndrome called hematidrosis, which is where uh, some people have it often and other people just have it once in an instant where in the agony of sweating, uh, they actually break blood vessels uh, on the skin and blood comes out with the sweat such agony and Jesus asks couldn't you pray that was the part that got to me <laughs> I, I like to think that I'm a prayer person more than most but I think if you were to ask God when we get to heaven what is the number one sin of the church probably would be prayerlessness like maybe what could have happened if we would have prayed. But, you know, now we, we're plugged into God. Now we have access to God. And, and do we pray? But the point I want to bring out the most is the tension. Not my will, but yours be done. If you haven't in your life yet, you will some point in your life. You won't get your way. It's coming. I just didn't see myself at this age doing this or being this. I just didn't. It wasn't the script I wrote. But to be able to surrender, because that's what that prayer does. It surrenders me to him. It surrenders me to my will to say, your will is absolute best and I think it happens deep deep in the garden some moment where God couldn't it be a, 
different way. But I love you enough and I trust you enough to be good that there is no other way. The other thing that this tells me about our salvation and Jesus' prayers, there was no plan B. Don't you think that if there was another way for you to be saved that could spare Jesus from suffering, that God the Father, Dada, would have taken it? If there was any other way, that's what Jesus is praying. I know this is what's going to, but if there is a plan B, can we switch to plan B. I spend the, the bulk of my life talking with people that believe in plan Bs about God. I share the good news for God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son that he died for you, he suffered for you, and then he rose again from the dead. And we have the audacity to say, well, that's good for you. But I just think as long as you're good, that you'll go to heaven. Don't you think that if good in our definition was enough, God would have taken that route? Don't you think that if it was a good enough thing for people to just be nice, they'll go to heaven, God would have said yes to Jesus' prayer? Don't you think that as we evolve as human beings and humanism is happening and we're getting better and better, ignore Ukraine, ignore, ignore Russia, ignore Afghanistan, ignore COVID-19, just keep ignoring poverty and home, ignore, look away. We're actually getting better and better. Don't you think God would have taken plan B? Don't you think that if we could just all meditate and imagine that we are all cosmically the Christ and we are joining the Christ spirit, that cosmically we are all one in, don't you think God would have taken that route? Are you with me? There is no plan B. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You cannot get to the Father except through me. So he prays the hardest prayer, not my will, but yours be done. And at this point, the battle is won. He won the battle in the garden. That's why he could go through it the next day with all the false trials and the beatings and the mockings and the crown of thorns and the carrying, because he won the battle right here. In verse uh, 41, in the middle of the verse, it, he says, enough, the hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the 12, appeared with him uh, with him was the crowd armed with swords and clubs and sent from the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders. That just gets to me. These uh, nice religious chief priests 
send these guards out to do their dirty work with swords and clubs. Verse 44, now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them, quote, the one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. So going at once to Jesus, Jesus said, Rabbi, and kisses him. And the men immediately seize Jesus and arrest him. So the time has come. The hour has come. So what I've been describing is like this roller coaster. You've ridden them. It's climbing to the highest point of the roller coaster. Click, 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 click. And you're already asking yourself, why did I get on this thing? Am I out of my mind? Click, 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 click. And finally, once it reaches the crest, there's no stopping it. Jesus knows the hour has now come. And he's kissed. Oh, the betrayer. If you've ever been betrayed, if I was Ryan, I would say, turn to your neighbor and say, I, I hate being betrayed. <laughs> I love when he does that. <laughs> Betrayal. Oh, the worst of, of human emotions. Here's a person you loved. Here's a person you trusted. And here's a person you gave everything to. And they stole from you. They betrayed you. He, he recruited Judas. He trained Judas. Judas was one of the 12 that went out two by two, who proclaimed the gospel, who prayed for the sick, who baptized. Wouldn't it be a bummer if you were baptized by Judas? He's like, wow, did that work? Did that, you know, I don't... Thank God, it's not the baptizer. It's, it's, it's... But... Sorry, just playing with you. <laughs> Welcome to my psychosis. <laughs> and not only that, he gave him the money. He trusted. And now he does it with a kiss. Lewis does a mad, uh, masterful job of describing betrayal with Edmund, one of the four uh, children in the Chronicles of Narnia. In the first book that he, he betrays the children, betrays Aslan for, uh, what is the candy? Turkish delight. Oh, boy. So the nightmare has begun. But here's the amazing grace, folks. Jesus knowing all of this, the Bible says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Who was that joy? It's you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Who did he love? You. This evil that he's about to endure on the cross is for you. And it had to be done in order for you and I not to pay for our sin. He takes it all upon himself.
So my friends, he won the battle in the garden. One more thought. Where did the first couple fall into sin? Where did we lose the battle? In a garden. And in a garden, Jesus won the battle. The first couple said, no, God, not your will, but ours be done. And Jesus says, not my will, but yours be done. So not only is this evil scenario about to take place, but God, in Lewis' words, has a deeper magic. And redemption and salvation are happening for you as well. Because he loves you and you are the joy of his life. Let's prepare our hearts for communion. Lord, we bow before you in this holy moment, feeling so unworthy as we peek over your shoulder, Jesus, and see your prayers and think through what was going on. It's so hard to fathom that you did it for us. But Lord, we're so grateful. We're so grateful. And now, Lord, as we prepare our hearts to take the bread and the cup, Holy Spirit, fall on us. Holy Spirit, awaken our hearts and minds to what you did for us. In Jesus' name, amen. By the way, if you need a, a bread and cup, would you... Uh, just raise your hand if you missed that when you came in. The ushers are, are in the aisles and they'd love to set you up. The other thing I need to clarify, because I, like you, have been in a zillion different churches. High church, low church, Catholic, Episcopal, Presbyterian, Baptist, Methodist, even Calvary chapels. And um, the question comes up, what do I do when communion is served in this church? And you find out, oh, you don't count. You can't do it because you don't, we don't know, you know, and, uh, you know, so you just kind of look around and is it okay? Is it not okay? So let me put you at ease. It's the way we roll here. If Christ has accepted you and you have accepted him as your Lord and Savior, who are we to not accept you? So if you have given your heart and life to Jesus Christ from wherever and whatever part of the world, welcome. Mikasa es su casa. If, on the other hand, you have not given your heart and life to Jesus Christ and now you're sweating bullets, <laughs> now what do I do? The easy answer is accept Him right now as your Lord and Savior. Like, why wouldn't you? I thought it was a good sermon. <laughs> Just give your heart and life to him. Like I said, you, you can't be good enough. You can't be nice enough. You can't be the cosmic Christ enough. You can't, whatever we are doing, we can't do it enough. He did it for us. So here's what I want to do. We're going to all pray a prayer. 
in just a minute. I'm going to lead you in the sinner's prayer. And we're just going to all pray it together. And if you snuck in here and just said, I didn't even plan on doing this. We want to welcome you as a brother and sister in Christ. Invite you to pray this prayer with us. Invite Jesus now to come into your life. So repeat after me as we pray this prayer. Dear Lord, I believe that you died for my sins. I believe that you rose again from the dead. Forgive me of my sin and wash me and cleanse me. Now fill me with your spirit and make me new. For from this day forward, I am a child of God. Not my will, but thine be done. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Well, it's hard to believe that uh, on that night when he was in the garden, that he was willing to surrender his life. Um, For us, that's the most precious gift we've been given. It's our breath. It's our life. Um, if there's anything we're going to c- protect or control or hold on to, it's, it's our own life. And uh, for him to be willing, for Jesus to be willing to surrender that and say, God, your will be done, um, that's a high bar, but he did that. And so for us, as we go into this, this time of communion, what is that thing in your life that you need to surrender, uh, that you're holding on to, that you're trying to control? Uh, maybe it's your kids got to control them. Uh, Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's a relationship with a parent or a child. Uh, Maybe it's a work relationship at work. Maybe it's your finances, your money. It's like, that's mine. I'm going to control it. What is that thing that you need to surrender and and turn over to God? And so as Jesus, as he was having that last supper with his friends, with his disciples, this is what he said. Uh, While they're eating, Jesus took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Let's go ahead and take that bread together now. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. They all drank from it. He said, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink, the new, drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let's drink the cup together now. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the the sacrifice that you made for us on the cross. God, you gave us this gift of life, a gift we can't give to ourselves, Lord Jesus. And all you're asking for us to do is surrender and let go of our power, of our control over our little worlds. That's how we entered into a relationship with you, God, as we initially realized we can't do this on our own. We are not in control, God. And so we do that again to you now. 
we surrender control. We say your will be done in our lives as it is in heaven. God, we love you. We thank you for your, your sacrifice. And we surrender it all to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So what we've studied today is real. There, there's no scholar that doubts, even the atheist scholar, there's nobody who doubts that this happened, that these, this is a historical account. They would just say, I just don't believe that anybody could die for my sins. But this is, so this is not fairy tale. This is true. As Tolkien said to Lewis on the night that Lewis started his journey to become a Christian, he says, this is the one story, the one myth that became true. This is the true story. A lot of knights go out and slay dragons. But this is the story of the one true knight, Jesus, who slayed the dragon for you. Aren't you glad? Wow. What a savior. What a savior. So may God lift up his face, his glorious, beautiful face of goodness and truth and justice. This wonderful God, may he lift his face up and shine upon you, making you a little bit more like him. And may he make you a person of prayer that doesn't pray because you got to pray. Pastor said you ought to pray. I feel like such a bad person when I don't. May you discover prayer to be your greatest resource. And may you discover God to be your daddy. You're homesick. You're love hungry. And it's because you were made for Dada. And may God brand in all of our hearts the sufficiency of Christ's payment on the cross. My friends, you are forgiven. You are forgiven indeed because of Jesus Christ. May God do this great work in our lives. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. if you need prayer, if you just say, wait, can I just stay in the garden a little longer? We have wonderful people up here and they won't fall asleep on you. They, they would love to pray for you. God bless you.